Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Parker Brown, and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a group of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love that CMYK is up to and want to be a part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we're able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. All right, so tonight uh, we are going to spend some time uh, in this series that we've been in now for a few weeks that we entitled Whole. And I hope all of you have a note card and a pen because uh, we're going to do something a little different this evening with our discussion Q&A time. So we've provided some more space and time to uh, have conversation about what we're talking about. It's a unique thing that we're trying in the evening gatherings that I I think uh, has potential to go really well. And what the goal is, is that everybody... Why Siri's trying to talk to me. I didn't say any Siri words. Okay. Um, <clears throat> rather than uh, just one or two people potentially putting a card up here at the end of the, of the talk, what we want to invite everybody to do is when we receive communion, if you want to be a part of communion, everyone's welcome, uh, to come and drop your card off and you can write nothing on the card. You can write, you know, I like unicorns on the card, whatever it is, but just to turn your card in. And that kind of provides opportunity for those that are actually turning in a question or comment or thought that they don't feel like they're on the spot. Cause there's like three cards and all of us know, like there was only three people that we went up there. We're going to figure out whose was whose, uh, but that we just are kind of all playing along together in that. So that's what those cards are for. And those pens are for. Um, tonight, as we jump into this, uh, that's not the slide that I was going for. That's the slide I was going for. Uh, and tonight, as we jump into this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks entitled Whole, um, <clears throat> it's important to remember that this series, in its um, context, is about understanding and looking at how do the scriptures viewed from a holistic standpoint, speak to questions or things that are going on in our lives. So maybe more significantly or more importantly than just zeroing in on one verse or one passage of scripture, which there's merit in doing. What do these whole stories have to do and point to us? And the most important thing in the midst of that is understanding that the scriptures come from a real people at a real place in a real time. In other words, these are not just texts that came down from heaven, but there are people thousands of years ago that were asking questions, that were going through things in life, and they're trying to figure out the best way forward with these things. And it's out of that that we see the scriptures. It's out of that that we see these stories come to be told and shared with one another because it's behind those stories that there would be life, that there would be beauty and significance. And specifically for this series, what we're looking at are the stories of Christ, the Gospels, and asking the questions, who were these Gospels written to and for, and what are the questions that the readers of these Gospels, the original audience of these Gospels, what what were they looking for? And how do these Gospels actually help within that? So a few weeks ago, we began with this question that we find within the Gospel of Matthew. The Matthew's written to a group of people. And the question that they were dealing with was, how do we face change? 
This is a 2,000-year-old text, yes, but it is not a question that is ancient and we no longer deal with today. All of us are in a place where we regularly ask this question. How do we face change in a healthy way? We understand and we see that there's unhealthy ways to process change. You can deny what's going on. You can try to run away. You can try to go back to maybe what you were, what was before the change was present and just try to live in the past potentially and believe that there's something there. And so you're always trying to run back to what was. Or is there a healthy way to go about the change in our life, whether it's extreme, large, or whether it seems small and minute? How do we face change? And specifically, what the Gospel of Matthew invites us to do and how we face change, the story and the narrative of Christ is about this, to be present. And being present is something, again, we've interacted with a lot at CMYK. What does that look like within this Matthew Gospel? It looks like this, that you believe to be present means that there's something here. As much as the change is something that we don't desire, we don't want, that there's something here. And so I'm not going to just try to get back to what was. I'm not going to try to avoid. I'm going to, I'm going to work to be present, believing there's something here. And then secondly, and I can handle this. Whatever the change is, I can handle this. And to believe that this is not the end, whatever the change is. And the fear-mongering that can happen in the midst of change is not something that's actually helpful to actually believe that I can handle this. It's the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we began looking at the text of Mark and asking the question, okay, if we look at this text as a whole, what's the question that's being asked within this community of people? And it really revolves around this. How do we move through suffering? Which is important to note in that question. It's not how do we just face suffering or how do we deal with suffering because all of us have experienced suffering on a small level or a large level. But it's a specific question to ask, how do you move through suffering? Because many of us know what it's like to experience suffering and begin to believe and think that where we are is where we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And we're just going to be in this space of suffering. We've felt that before. We've been awake in the middle of the night feeling like this is now my life. Welcome suffering because this is just going to be my friend. But the conversation and the question to Mark that we spent some time with last week was how do you actually move through suffering and find yourself on the other side of it? And the narrative of Christ invites us to do, I think, um, what is potentially one of the most difficult, but one of the most powerful things that we can do in our life. And it's simply this, to be honest. And most significantly about the Gospel of Mark is, is not just to be honest, like just raise your hand and say, I'm suffering, there I did it, and then you move on. But there's a path, there's a journey, there's an invitation in what this honesty looks like. And last week we talked about it, it revolves and looks like these four things. That first and foremost, to be honest means that you lean into hope. That where you are is not where you're always going to be, and you can be honest in that. That's not pretending, that's not putting blinders on to what's happening. You can say, this sucks, this is horrible, this is awful, but you can also, in the same token as the Gospel of Mark invites us, that there is still something to be found on the other side of this. There's still good news, there's still resurrection, there's still new life, and you can lean into that. Secondly, to examine yourself, to be honest, is to look and say, what role did I play in the suffering that I'm experiencing? It's not a question we <laughs> like to go after, but we ask that question. We ask the question of, okay, and in examining myself, are there people that I'm carrying frustration, anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness towards? And I just need to examine myself and be honest about that and not pretend that everything is okay. 
but I can be honest. Thirdly, to see the divine, not Captain America. That the Gospel of Mark invites the story of Christ walking on the waves in the midst of a storm as his disciples are in a boat and they're going, what is this? They're terrified. But this Christ, this divine, this God, this love is actually found in the midst of the storm. Not Captain America that just busts through the doors with a shield and a gun to save the day and everything is better which is how many of us can interact with God. Waiting for God to show up means that everything is going to be better. That is not the story in the Gospel of Mark. And last but not least, to be honest, means that we give up on perfection. That there's this invitation to say, I know that I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to move through suffering. And many times we can stall in our movement. We can stall in our growth and our journey because we get so fearful that we're going to make the wrong decision. We're going to say the wrong thing. And so we just find ourselves getting stuck in this place compared to giving up on perfection and allowing ourselves to continually be honest wherever we are, wherever we are and whatever's going on. And tonight, what's significant is not that there's a talking head up front that just says, hey, there's, here's some things. Everybody good? Okay, let's go. But what's significant about these things is when they actually are interacted with and when they're lived out in our lives, there's something to be found in there. And so tonight, I'm so excited and so honored that rather than me just sharing and talking, uh, we have someone from our community who is going to share what this journey and what this path has looked like for them. She's a morning person, so you might not recognize her, but she's an awesome person. And so I'm so excited you get to hear her story. Would you please welcome Sophia as she comes up and shares this evening. Woo-woo! All right. There you go. So, um, Sophia is someone that I've known for a, a long, long, long time. We went to high school together. We were in a drama class together uh, and killed it. Both got A's. I got an A. Did you get an A? I don't, we've never sure. tell you. Okay, I know that I got an A, okay? Let's just be honest. Uh, but we've known each other for a really long time. And um, on top of that, you and your husband, Josh, have been a part of this thing called CMYK really since day one. And it's been such an honor uh, and such a joy to be able to do all of this with you guys. And so, but you got a story. And the story is something that uh, we've talked about a couple times, you sharing, but hasn't really been a, something that you were in a place or we were in a place to see that happen until right now. And so when we talk about this concept of being honest and moving through suffering, I asked you to share your story and here you are. So what does that look like for you? Well, um, before I was married to Josh, and I have my two lovely children, um, it was about 10 years ago that I, I was actually married to someone else, uh, Kyle Lorenz, and he passed away from cancer. But I'd like to tell you before that a little bit about Kyle. Um, we met in high school, but it was after high school that we started to date, and um, it, he was a perfect gentleman. He was an absolute amazing person. And, and, and I know everyone says that once someone's died, they, they put him on this pedestal, but truly he was awesome. And if, if you mention his name to any person who actually knows him, they can attest to how uh, fantastic he was. And he treated me with such respect as we were dating. And um, that really kind of set up a good culture for our relationship. I, uh, I grew up Catholic, and he grew up in the Mormon faith, um, and 
our families were very much for our relationship. It wasn't any, anything dramatic, but we really tried to keep God as the center of our relationship. And um, obviously that's a struggle sometimes, but since, since the beginning, we, we really focused on keeping our relationship centered around God and, and doing what would please God and, and hopefully setting us up for success. So truthfully, it was just a classic love story, the kind you hope for your own children. It was truly wonderful. And we were together for two years, and then we got engaged, and then we were engaged for two years, and then we got married. And then we were married for about um, a year and a half, and it was, you know, classic newlywed stuff. But um, he he started having night sweats and just not getting over a cold and and just all these other things that were obviously problematic. So when he finally did go to the doctor, they told us that it was, in fact, um, cancer. And uh, it was specifically Hodgkin's lymphoma, which at the time um, the doctor said was the third best cancer to have because it's very curable. So we were really optimistic. And um, like I said, God was part of our relationship from the beginning. So when this news came to us, um, I very foolishly thanked God for this opportunity to uh, go through this struggle together. I, um, I, for one, thought that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And so I thought, wow, God really trusts us, and he must think highly of us. And I also thought that this cancer was going to be a blessing because it would obviously be a struggle, but something that would bring us closer together. And it did, but um, ultimately took us apart from each other. Uh, at the beginning, it wasn't so hard. I mean, he did very well with the chemotherapy, and... Um, then it just stopped working. And then after it stopped working, we were told we needed to seek more aggressive treatments. So he was gonna go do um, two stem cell transplants in Seattle. Um, obviously, being told that the treatment's not working and that something more aggressive had to happen was disheartening. And he, the person going through all of this, really um, was kind of losing losing hope, kind of wavering in faith, but, um, but he had me, his cheerleader there, and I, I mean, I, I was like, but honey, we, we pray all the time, we, God's on our side, we're really good people, we have Catholics and Mormons praying for us, like this is definitely going to work out, and, and we went through the motions, and um, it was definitely tough, I was his caregiver, and, and I know most of us have seen someone with cancer, but watching firsthand him, him going through the chemotherapy was um, very, very difficult. But we didn't, I didn't lose faith. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of support from his family, my family, people in the community. Um, I'm a teacher, so the people at my, my work were helping me out. He, he worked for Tumbleweed, and they were helping him out. Um, strangers were just donating. We had fundraisers going on, articles in the newspaper. Like It was really the support of the Billings community, so we were very fortunate and, and very blessed in that way. His 
um, first stem cell transplant did not take, so the doctor said that it was there was no point in doing a second one. Um, they told us that there was an option to do some um, experimental procedures, but um, Kyle was at a point where the chemotherapy had really taken away too much from him, physically, mentally, and emotionally, spiritually, everything. It, it just had ch completely changed who he was, which, as I said, if you knew Kyle, um, you, would, you would know that it was not the same. And um, so they told us that he basically had three, three months left, but we decided to try alternative treatment in um, California. And I'm very glad we did. Um, his spirit came back and his funniness came back and all those things that I love and adore about him came back. But the, obviously the cancer kept spreading and, um, and that's where he passed away, was in California with my family and um, his family, or me and his parents were there at his bedside and then my family came as, as soon as they could. So once again, we were surrounded by love and support, but <laughs> even with everybody there, as you can imagine, your husband passing away was, was the end of my world. And it was not what I expected to happen. I, I knew he wasn't gonna die, I knew it. And I had so much faith that he was gonna be okay, so everything just kind of got flipped upside down. And that's where it ended. So um, I knew Kyle, uh, he and I were buddies in high school, and um, when I, when I called you to say, hey, we're talking about this concept of moving through suffering, um, you originally said, I'm not the person to talk about this because if the, if the way to move through suffering is to be honest, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I don't get that card. Um, and, and you kind of removed yourself from that because you said that you were not honest in how you went through this. What did that look like for you? And what did, what did you mean by that? I meant that I wasn't honest with everyone, including myself. Um, after leaving uh, California, I, I was homeless, and, but so I went and lived with my parents again. And um, they made a beautiful bedroom for me in one of my old rooms, and it was fantastic, but it um, obviously was temporary. And being there in my parents' home, it was very easy to lie to myself that my husband wasn't dead, that I was just staying with my parents and he was somewhere else. And I mean, obviously I, I would cry, but I'd cry in secret and I, I didn't wanna be honest with them with how much I was grieving. They're my parents and I didn't wanna worry them and especially because they worked so hard to bring me as much comfort as they could. So I didn't wanna put more on them. Um, after I did move out of their home into my own place, I still wasn't very honest with myself because I set up our apart my I set up my apartment to look like our apartment, even though he had never lived there. I, I hung up his clothes 
in the closet. I put his shoes by the door. Uh, he wore hats all the time, so I, I stuck his hats in random places like he sat down on the couch and just took off his hat. And I, I honestly thought that we could stay married um, with a long-distance relationship um, with me on earth and him in heaven. I thought that we could continue our, our marriage. And so I would come home and talk to him every day like we were married. And I remember even having fights with him because he wasn't talking back. <laughs> and he wasn't visiting me in my dreams. And he wasn't keeping up with his end of this relationship that, I, that he promised to do. And it was, it was really impossible feeling. And then I'd go to work and people would check in on me. And, and then I'd fake the right amount of sadness. So they knew I was a grieving widow, but not too much because I, again, I didn't want them to think I was going crazy or, or know how, how debilitating it was to walk through this grief. And, and the same was true with my family. Of course, they wanted to check in with me and I, I, didn't, I just didn't want them to worry for me. I just, I couldn't have another person to worry about. I, I, we didn't have any children, so thankfully I was very selfish in my grief, but I just I couldn't have something else to think about. When we were talking about this and you were sharing about it, um, there's a couple of really, I think, powerful things for me. This idea that <clears throat> when you were interacting with others, you put this expectation on yourself to, to grieve in such a way that would be accepted or not celebrated, but but felt felt like they were seeing you, but you weren't still you still weren't being honest. Which reminds me of that concept of giving up on perfect, perfection, because you want to figure out what's the perfect way to process this suffering, and that other people, because you don't want to be happy, because you know then everybody's going to know you're being fake. But you don't want to be honest because you really are in this place of incredible turmoil. So you find this right balance of, you find the language and the words, and, and I say this as, you know, someone in the last year and a half that's gone through some stuff of, you find this balance of like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, like, you know that people are going to hear that and they're going to go, okay, he's, he's okay, but it's not really inviting somebody into the story. And um, not wanting to put other things on other people's shoulders like you were talking about. I don't want you to worry about me. So you try to go through this in this perfect way that everybody can. It, it's just an interesting thing, which is it, that that for me is probably one of the most difficult things when it comes to this idea of moving through suffering, of truly allowing others into it and being honest rather than and giving up on perfection and just saying, I know that this isn't probably the right way to go about this. I know that this might actually burden you with some things that I really don't want to burden you with. But, I, but for me and for us, I just got to be honest about this. And you don't do that with everybody. You don't, you know, the girl behind the coffee, you know, like, how are you today? Like, well, let me tell you. Uh, you don't, obviously. The other thing that was really, I, I think, um, significant for me is you talk about this interaction with <clears throat> Kyle, like he's still here, and leaving these hats around and having conversations, having fights with him, um, those kinds of things. And this concept of leaning into hope and what that looked like for you. Um, when we were talking about it, you, you mentioned that for you, you were married to Kyle and you were always going to be married to Kyle. And you wouldn't allow yourself to lean into hope that there could be something more or something different outside of that. 
Can you talk about that a little bit? What, is that correct? Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm, I, I mean, you, you get married with the anticipation that it's going to be forever, and you know there'll, there'll be ups and downs, but it's going to, it's something you made a vow for. And so I wasn't going to let death get in the way of my vow. Um, and so I, I really did try. I, I worked really hard, and, and I saw a counselor, and I, of course, talked to the counselor about what I was doing, and, and she was amazing and was everything I needed her to be. Um, but, but obviously, that didn't work out. And so it, there, there came a night where I was um, in ruins, for lack of a better word, and I just couldn't be the way we were anymore. And I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing on my bed. And I remember feeling, um, I remember feeling his presence. And it was so, it was so crippling to, to be in that state where I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I, I said to him, Kyle, you've got to go. I can't do this anymore. And then I just, I did feel him leave. And I didn't ever feel him back again. And it was at that, at that point I realized I couldn't live in that fantasy anymore. And I wasn't hopeful that my life would get better. I don't think I leaned into that hope that it would be better, but I knew I couldn't live in my delusion anymore. And, but I guess there was a little bit of hope because, I guess there was a little bit of hope because I kept going. I think, yeah, for me, it's you were willing to put yourself in that place that you had avoided for so long, mm -hmm. but you're willing to do it with the belief that there was something on the other side. Um, and, and that's what I think leaning into hope and being honest is all about, that we're willing to go there. We're willing to be honest because many times we're not honest in the midst of our suffering because we don't think there's anything on the other side. We think if I'm honest, I'm going to be stuck. And this is, you're going to be stuck without Kyle. And so you've got to stay in this place of believing that Kyle's there. But to lean into hope is to admit and to be honest and say, I don't know what's on the other side, but there's something and I can, I can go there. The other thing that... Um, was really powerful for me in our conversation was this idea of examining yourself and what that looked like for you in, in this journey when you started to kind of be a little more introspective about how you were viewing your role throughout all of this and being honest about the role you did play and the role you didn't play in the midst of that. Um, as I mentioned, um, Kyle did lose some hope and then I was the one who kept him motivated and kept him going, which I was so happy to do as his wife. But then um, once he had passed away, I felt this tremendous weight of guilt because I had falsely given him hope and I had assured him our life would be together forever. And um, I felt, I kind of had told you, like survivor's guilt a little bit, like he, he passed and then I'm still going and I have to carry his story forward and I don't think I even did it right. Like I probably didn't give him the right shots or there was something that he could have gotten that I didn't provide for him. And so I felt this 
weight all around that I had messed it up, that I, like, I just didn't do it right. And so, I mean, obviously, life went on, and I, I started dating again, and then that turned into a, a marriage, and now I have my own two children, but those worries were very much reawakened for me as I became a mother, uh, especially for the first time, this worry that I was in charge again of this little life, and that last time I had failed, I had miserably failed when I was given charge of a life, and so I was so concerned that I was gonna mess up again, especially with some health concerns that my daughter had, that I just couldn't do it anymore, that I was gonna mess it up again. And then I got my second child, and those same, those same feelings were there, and it really took just a lot of thinking that I didn't mess it up, that he, it was, it was much bigger than me and what I could have done or the right amount of vitamins I would have given him. There was, it was so much bigger than me, but it, it took, a, it's taking, I should say, it's, it's still taking a long time for me to kind of come to terms with this because I still feel, I still feel that guilt and that weight and I have to rationalize it with myself to assure myself that that I, I'm, I'm enough, that I'm, I'm exactly what I need to be in my life. That was significant for me because many times this idea of examining yourself and suffering, it, it is looking at the role that we play in potentially causing our own suffering. Many of us know what it's like to do wrong things and bear the consequences of those wrong things and then feel like, okay, I just need to be honest. Like, I played a role in this. But Sophia and her story is one of, I had to be honest about the role I didn't play because many of us know what it's like to grab onto things and feel like this is, I should have done more, I should have, you know, whatever it is, and, and to carry that around and to, to do honest self-examination sometimes is to just breathe deep and let some things fall off of our shoulders and off of our chest and say, that's not mine to carry anymore. And it's not healthy for me to carry. And it, this self-examination is... And being honest is recognizing that and allowing those things. And, and I don't think you're here to say you're perfect and you've got it all together, but you're, you are working at continuing to be honest about that. You are not to blame for what happened or how it happened or those kinds of things. I think it's important to know you've, you've mentioned it. We've mentioned it a couple times. You are not in a place, and you'd be the last one to say, that you have moved through suffering and there is no longer any struggles or pain in your life. Right? Yeah. Okay. I'm perfect. <laughs> Good. Uh, it's, so you're not here to say that, but I, I do love that this story is one that there's movement to it. As much as you don't want to say you're done moving through suffering, there's movement to it. And as we've mentioned, you've got this incredible marriage with an incredible guy named Josh. He serves on our finance council, and then uh, two beautiful, beautiful kids. Um, I don't know that I have a question out of that other than just simply celebrating that fact that, that, that you have worked hard to be honest and move through some things that was incredibly difficult and there is some new life and resurrection found. Like, this is the time where we need to recognize that as well. So in our kind of closing, I would just ask a question. Is there anything that you would like to speak to or anything that you would like to ask of this CMYK community? Um, yes, I would just like to ask everyone to be forgiving of those moving through grief or any kind of suffering, just be forgiving because it's obviously unique and different for every person. 
and sometimes it might seem like they're not doing it right or behaving the way that you think that they should be, so they must not really feel that way. But it's such an awkward situation for us and, and we can often place our own judgments onto others. So I would just ask that you be forgiving and accepting of anyone going through anything, which is everyone. Can we thank Sophia for coming and sharing tonight? Thank you so, so much. Um, that was so good. Thank you. Um, tonight, as we come and prepare to receive communion together, um, I think one of the things that's important to note as we deal with these four questions found within the four Gospels is many times uh, the response can be, especially when you hear a story like that, is, I am not suffering like that. In fact, I've never experienced suffering like that. And so we kind of remove ourselves from the scenario and the situation. And this table signifies that we all eat of the same bread and drink of the same cup. We all are a part of the same body, same blood. In other words, that this meal is, is a remembrance for anybody that would eat of it that we're in this together. And that there may be somebody here tonight that is in a place of suffering. There is somebody here tonight, potentially, that's in the process of change, and they don't want to go through it, and they're wrestling how to go through it. And you might be somebody that feels outside of those questions. Not me, not today, not right now. Okay. But part of this meal and part of this work and the beauty of this community is that we find regular space and time to come together and to say, you're not alone. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone that we're in this with you and we're a part of this with you and that you feel and sense and can breathe deep, taste bread on your tongue and the juice on your lips and know that you're a part of something bigger in the midst of this. It's so, uh, I think, significant. And so tonight we come to this table and if you're going through change, please know that you can be present. If you're in the midst of suffering, we're sorry, and we're with you, and that this, as silly as it feels, chunks of bread in grape juice. It's the cheap grape juice. It's not even the expensive kind, but it's our work to just come back to you're not alone, and we're with you, and that if you are in that place, that you would see and know the people here tonight are, are with you, and this is our work towards that. But also invite, if there's a question, a thought, comment that you would like to bring to any of this tonight we want to provide space for that because everyone's voice matters at this table and so um, we're going to just provide some space a um, couple minutes for you to just sit and reflect and think and process where are you at in these things what's going on and then whenever you're ready to come forward take a piece of bread dip it in the cup and if you would just drop off your card um, and in that work and then when we'll We'll be done with that time and, and then provide some space for question, answer, comment, and those things. So we'll leave this up on the screen. But whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while you're there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.